This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP, Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. Thanks for joining me. It's been great to be back. Hope you're enjoying and you're out there hunting, shooting and fishing and, of course, joining your family and being in the outdoors. Today's show, I'm talking with Tony Gillahan from TG Outdoors. We're going to talk about hunting, shooting, fishing, calibers, deer, just all types of hunting. We're going to talk about maybe overseas hunting as well. We're going to talk about a lot of different topics in being outdoors and hunting in Australia. Of course, if you want to support me on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash AHP. I've got a good base of supporters there on Patreon. So I want to thank all the people that support me on Patreon. You guys are the best. You know, you see value in the podcast that we do and you're willing to throw a few dollars my way. So I do appreciate it. You guys know who you are that support me on the show. Uh, So I want to thank you very, very much. If you want to send us in any voicemails, guys, go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. And if you're on the right-hand side slider bar, you'll see where it says uh, leave voicemail or leave a message. Click on that. Uh, It gives you 90 seconds to leave an audio voicemail. Uh, And if you want to talk about a specific topic for something for our straight shooting segment, Just put it in there and we'll play it on our next show. Of course, if you don't want to do that and you just want to write in, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. I know a lot of people write to me, guys. I get an absolute ton of emails. Uh, All the emails that I get for straight shooting, I do tackle on straight shooting. So keep an eye on that because that's generally where I address a lot of the questions. So without further ado, I think what we should do is bring Tony Gillahan on the show. Tony Gillahan, welcome to AHP, representing TG Outdoors. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. I want to find out a bit about yourself. Tell me about yourself. I guess where you're from, just a bit of history about who Tony Gillahan is. Well, I'm 26, nearly 27, and I grew up in a tiny little town called Ensay, which is in East Gippsland, and basically... Got into hunting through through my old man. We used to go out, like we were only little, my brother and I, and went out spotlighting, mainly looking for rabbits and foxes on quite a few of the, the nearby properties. And that was really how it all started snowballing. And, yeah, then got into deer hunting probably at about 18, 17, 18. So... Was that always sort of something big, you know, like in your family? Was deer hunting? I mean, you were just talking about your dad and brother. So was that something your dad always grew up doing? And what was the sort of core species you were you were hunting back that you remember when you were growing up? Uh, growing up, it was always basically rabbits and foxes, like more vermin control. Dad, I, dad hadn't had any real interest in deer hunting that I'm aware of. Um, he he was a shearer, so he used to do some some pig culling and stuff. But yeah, overall, he he had no real interest in deer hunting. It was more when we were younger, just basically he was just teaching us pretty much firearm safety and everything like that, and and we were just helping the local farmers out, just cleaning up foxes and rabbits for them. And then I, I turned, I think I was about sixteen, seventeen. I started to get right into photography, and just started to wanting to sort of get into wildlife photography a bit. So I started actually going out looking for deer on some of the properties that I, you know, shot foxes and that on and just, yeah, trying to take photos of fallow deer and samba and then decided, I think it was about 18, I decided that 
it was time to start start basically eating them. <laughs> <laughs> Which speak to that too. We'll talk, we'll talk about you know I guess recipes later on. But uh, what do you reckon the best eating ones have? I've only shot pretty much fallow. I did shoot a. Uh, a six, I reckon it was about a six-month-old Samba doe, and uh, when I shot him, it was quite interesting because I've never seen this before. Perhaps you have, and maybe you'll let me know. But uh, I, I was hunting this game trail, and I thought, yeah, I'll wait to see what happens. This uh, first, which I thought was actually a dark chocolate fallow, actually popped out, and I thought, oh, hang on, I'll just wait until it comes a bit more because it was sort of behind this bush. So I thought I'll wait until it pops out a little bit. Anyway, at the corner of my eye, I see this. I, I sort of jumped a little bit and I went oh shit there's a good size not I had a broken antler but it was a good size meat animal no doubt about it and then I thought to myself okay so I shot the fallow first the other one bolted probably 50 or 60 meters and I shot the other one then when I went down to see the 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 second one that I shot which was the first one that came out it was actually a samba and I thought wow I've never <laughs> I've never actually seen samba and fallow and when I say they were together a hundred percent they were together the only two deer there they popped out from behind this game trail maybe three or four metres away from each other. And I've never seen the sort of interspecies hanging out together. Maybe that's something you've seen. Maybe you'll let me know. Yeah, I've, I've seen that before. Probably not as close, but I've seen, yeah, Samba and Fallow on the same same faces feeding together quite wow. a few times, yeah. Crazy, isn't it? It just blows my mind that I thought, you know, I mean, I know maybe, you know, I've seen them amongst, you know, cattle or, or kangaroos or something along those lines. But, yeah, never seen them together and I'm sort of – I'm happy that I got both of them, but because I, I would have loved to have shot. If I knew that one was a Samba first, I would have shot it because at that stage, even though my first Samba was only a little meat doe, I was still happy to shoot a Samba, and I probably would have shot that one first knowing it was a, a, a doe, but I could only see the sort of top as it's back before it came out, and then I shot the other one. So, yeah, definitely very interesting. Did it eat well? <laughs> oh, my, and you be yeah, it did actually. And you know what the the just the meat on that little doe. Honestly, I thought it was like pork. It was so pink, and it was just oh, yeah. mate, I'm getting excited <laughs> just thinking about it now. <laughs> Mouth watering. <laughs> yeah, like, and even my mate said he, even when we took it back and caped it, he goes, "Man, this is like pork." He goes, "This is." And I said, "You, you kept your bloody hands off that, mate." And he goes, "Oh, <laughs> I haven't got it anyway." So I ended up, I ended up shooting, I think, shit three on that trip. So it was more, my well, mate. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm on my own single, so I thought, mate, yeah, you fill up yours. I'll take you know one and a half, and you take one of the other one and a half, and you know that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, when your mates don't get one, helping out your mates as well and getting them a feed too. Yeah, exactly. So well, getting back to what you were saying too, I'm going to always love going off track. It's always fun. Uh, talking about your, your family as well, getting back to that just a little bit, you were talking about your brother as well. Did, have you got a good relationship with him? Have he developed a, a passion for hunting as well? Do you do a bit of hunting with him? Yeah, we, we try and get as much as we can together. Like he He's a boilermaker by trade, so he's works out of his own workshop and does a fair bit of contracting and stuff. So he's pretty flat out, but... I always, yeah, try and get a few hunts in with him every year. We used to do a lot more when we were younger together, obviously, but, yeah, once, as, as you know, you sort of get older and busier and, yeah, so I think we've probably done uh, maybe 10, 15 hunts together this year, so that's been pretty good. He um, he he actually got – it was nearly a 30-incher uh, – that was a few months ago now. That was a that was a funny story. I was I was I think I finished work that day and I was Adam and I was going hunting. So I sent it up to the bush and I actually invited him 
And he's like, oh, I'm kind of tied up with work. And I'm like, oh, well. And then he said, oh, no, just wait for me. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And it wasn't – I don't think he got up there until – it was before daylight savings and he got up, like, he met up with me. It was not long before dark and I was, like, so close to going without him. And I'd already organised the the spot we were going to and everything and, yeah, finally get in there and we sort of sit in, sitting on this big face and nothing's going on. Didn't even see a deer. I, I glassed up a couple of deer in a, a few sort of nearby properties, but I hadn't, hadn't called that property owner so I couldn't go on there and, then next thing we're on, like we're walking out, it's just before dark and yeah, this bloody massive stag crosses the back fire break and beds down like, I think it was 300, 250 yards in front of us on this thick face. And he had his brand new three rate lap that he'd just bought. <laughs> and um, I think you were yeah, shooting that one the other day, weren't you? I think I saw him maybe on Instagram or maybe were my correct or? Yeah. Yeah. I shot three in the last three days with it. I've just been sort of keeping it warm while he's at work. <laughs> Best way to be. But, yeah, so he blooded his, his new rifle with a – it went 29 and three quarters. So, he, needless to say, he was pretty happy that he actually did come hunting and I didn't go out there by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's always – it's always the, I'd love to buy my brother's ones, but he ne- never lets me. <laughs> I mean, so, but I've got my own ones anyway, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But when you, get, when you talk about hunting as well, what about any – you know, just other activities. Do you like getting just purely just hunting, or do you get into pistols? You know, shotguns. I've seen a fair a fair amount of videos, so I guess I've seen you like bow hunting as well. So, any of the other sort of other than I say hunting, any sort of you know, target shooting, you know, pistol shooting, shotguns, clay targets, or anything like that. Um, I've done a little bit of just clay target shooting, just on like on my parents' property, just mucking around, but never, never seriously or any competition base wise. Uh, bow hunting. I definitely do quite a bit of. I've sort of had a bit of a break from that recently, but I normally always try to at least send an arrow through one or two deer a year, which I haven't done this year. It's been a bit slack. (laughs) I've got to give a lot of respect to the the bow hunters, I mean, including yourself as well. Uh, I don't know how you – I've been at places where, you know, like I've been – let's say this one was on public land. Uh, Deer pops out of a game trail probably about 100 metres away. I'm sort of up under the pine. You know, luckily I've got my blaze orange on so I don't get shot. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this deer. I'm just sitting there. The pine is so soft. It's nice. Almost, you could almost fall asleep there. I've seen a deer pop out. Perfect. And I just quickly roll over onto the gun. They're not even facing me. And the wind's in the perfect position. And they're sort of just... They know something's up, but they're not 100% sure. Sometimes, somehow, I've spooked them. Obviously, a lot of the times, too, I've shot them as well. But it's just crazy how you guys can get so close to a deer without spooking them. I mean, I've... I've spooked and walking back to camp, for an example, because I'm heading back to meet the boys for lunch or something, which always seems to be the way. You never see them in the morning, but you always see them on the on the bloody way back to camp. But how do you <laughs> when get you're not ready for yeah, it? Exactly. I, I tell you how many times I've gone. Okay, I've walked down into a ravine, maybe one kilometer, one point two kilometers. Takes me about three hours. You know, a couple of steps, glassing, etc. See nothing. Hang on, all yep. right, I'll head back up, head back up, I head back up, oh shit, I hear something to the left, oh there's like four or five fellow with their white asses looking at me running <laughs> off, uh, you know, or, or I'm, I'm walking up and I go, something catches my eye and I look over and I go, what the hell, and then literally a deer's like coming up, like literally that 
15 metres away up over my shoulder and I'm in like the totally wrong position to be able to shoot. So how on earth do you bastards get so close to deer with, with, a, with a, you know, a steel on the end of an arrow? It just blows my mind. And with a lot of uh, time and frustration. <laughs> I can imagine. See, I'd hate to get that perfect deer that I, I could have shot and, you know, but then I've also learned too, as probably probably you have too many years ago, long before me, but, you know, that it's not really the shot. I used to spend a lot of time thinking about the shot. You know, I spent many years trying to get a deer, you know, five years almost. And ever since sort of that monkey's gotten off my back, I think I've only had one, maybe two trips where I haven't got anything. And the rest I'm getting either one deer or, or multiple deer. And, you know, it's about the processing after the fact too, I think, you know, like I'm concentrating on the shot, but there's so much work to do after the shot. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I've, I'll regularly pass up if I'm on a meat trip. I'll regularly pass up deer if I, a if I can't be bothered packing it out in a painful way. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> or, me. <laughs> or B if, if if I can't get the car close to it. So it sort of depends depends on my uh, enthusiasm level on the day. But yeah, regularly we'll pass up deer if they're in the in a spot where I don't think I can utilize much of it so how when when you normally go hunting what sort of i mean we're going to get a little bit later as well but what sort of terrain are you hunting and how far if you if you're going in to sort of try and get an animal how far would a you have to pack it out how far would the say average distance the car would be away to get back to the vehicle it honestly depends whether i'm on public land or private if, if i'm on public um i'm generally not looking for a meat animal um so the distance i mean it really doesn't make as much difference to me if i'm on private i'm a lot more selective though in in terms of in terms of uh where i'm going to carry it out from but but public land i don't worry as much sort of thing because i'm I'm more looking for a, a stag do you think that interesting question? That's a great question. You just will uh, tip you just brought up. If you're on, you said if you're going on public land, you're not looking for a meat animal. You, I thought it'd be maybe be more easier, say, private land to get trophies. Or am I incorrect? Or what? What would you, did you mean by that statement? Uh, d- depends on depends on the property, but most of the properties I've got access to, other people have access to as well. So yeah, there's sort of right, you can't okay, really yep. you yep. can't can't do much managing on there. Whereas some of the public land spots I go to, if if I'm walking in far enough, I nearly know full well there's not many people hunting there. And if they are, they're there for the same reason I am, and that's to shoot something big. So so I I definitely I pass up way more animals like sort of younger stags and that on public land than I do on private property. Makes sense, isn't it? It's interesting. I got a, another good deer as well on, I don't think I've got a really good size fallow. And now that I think about it, I think it's going to be very hard to probably beat that public land fallow size probably any time in the near future, you know? So, but uh, yeah. you, make, you make a good point. You make a good point. Yeah, it's just interesting perspective on public versus private land. And you're right. And if other people do have access to that type of land, it's probably hard to manage and probably hard to, unless it's adjacent to, you know, some, some public land where animals can move into that private land. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, for the most part, the, the, the private land, I'm generally, if I'm on private, it's generally to A, help out the property owner a bit and clean up some animals and B, just to, to get human meat and dog meat, like just fill freezers. But public, public lands is, yeah, 
I'm, I'm generally, if I'm on public land, I'm passing up a lot of animals just trying to find something that I'll put on the wall sort of thing. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. I talked to a lot of this. Is probably, I didn't put this in the questions. This is a sort of interesting question, but people like when I ask it and uh, I get multitude of different answers to this. So say if you're dating someone and a partner, do you want a, 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 a partner that loves hunting and, and you're happy for uh, you know, your partner to go with you? Or do you like the opposite where you're like, nah, nah, this is just a guy thing. Um, I love <laughs> to go hunting without my partner. Like I get so many mixed responses. So I love sort of asking this question, you know, because some guys absolutely love their partner going with them. And some guys are like, hell no, this is a boy's trip. Piss off. It's all for us. And thank you very much. <laughs> um, it honestly, it doesn't bother me either way. I've I've, I've had both, <laughs> and and e- either way, I'm happy. I, I sort of look at it like if if I'm going by myself, that like I'm very content being out in the bush by myself. Um, but I also don't mind company as well, so I'm pretty much happy either way. Yeah, I talked to a lot of guys. It all depends on. You know, areas too. I mean, me being in Sydney, shit, you even tell people sometimes you even go hunting. They're like, what? What are you talking about? A lot of good people too that don't, you know, good, you know, for me, girls out there that for me don't really care. And obviously some on the other hand, they do. I don't know how many dates of, it was supposed to have a, a date and then it didn't turn into a date after that once I told them I went hunting. So sometimes I try and keep that to myself until later on, you know, it just depends. But then, you know, other guys are like, yeah, love it. And then other guys are like, no way, man. It's a good trip away with the boys to relax and have a good time. And, you know, but I guess each guy to their own, I guess. But talking about hunting, uh, obviously you spend a lot of time deer hunting as well. But what do you like to hunt? What's your what's your go-to core species out your way? Uh, go-to is Samba, 100%. Like, I can see fallow and Samba on the same hillside, and I get so much more excited when I see Samba. <laughs> really? Yeah? You like – you like is Samba your number one over fallow or whatever you – because probably what have you got down there mainly be fallow and Samba, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's just Samba and fallow. And, like, there's hoggies as well, which I did – I did a scouting trip on hoggies this year. I did a couple of hunts on them on private land, and I I think what did I see? I only saw a couple, um, but I did, the the bug didn't bite. Like I, I had the had the tags and everything, and I put in a bit of time, and the bug just. I think I ended up just going samba hunting really <laughs> through through April. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you like about samba though? I mean, I've seen follow a lot of guys on Instagram as well, and I see all the. You know, pictures, seen your pictures as well. I've seen some, you know, game trail, game cam video footage. And man, like Samba, I've got to admit, like compared to Fallow, I think, especially, you know, you got your dark chocolate Fallow, you got your sandy Fallow. And I look at, you know, Samba, even when I shot that uh, Samba down, I think, man, this is like, it's a, it's a wonderful, like they're like the ghosts of the forest. But I sometimes I think, man, this is just one ugly animal, you know, like, <laughs> you know, Samba. They're just very. <sighs> I don't know what it is. It's probably because that's sort of what I like. Even when I like when I said I was about sixteen, seventeen when I started really getting into photography, it was at, at that time. I mean, there was a few people taking you know some good photos and that of Samba, but there just wasn't 
a heap of, you know, even footage. There wasn't a stack of, you know, video footage and that of them really out there. And and then bow hunting as well. Like, I mean, as soon as the rut hits, there's like fellow bucks getting railed with a bow everywhere, but there's still not very many salmon getting taken with a bow. And, yeah, they're just, I don't know, they're just such crafty and, and wise critters like the stags are always it was funny I actually i had a trail camera set up on this really nice wallow and i had multiple stags like on the camera and i was looking through all the photos and thinking there's got to be a big stag in here like it's it's kilometers in from anywhere i like i i bloody backpacked in to put the camera in and the only the only decent stag was by pure fluke that I saw it because I was looking at this photo a little bit too carefully because there was this stag that I was I thought he had a little extra point on his antler, and in the background I see this bloody giant and he's like probably a, I don't know maybe a hundred meters away from the stag in the picture, and it was just by fluke that I actually seen it was there but I knew that there should have been something good but the big ones just they're just so I don't know they're cunning. Like he he wasn't in the wallow once the whole time the camera was there for like three months, but yeah. I did have a, he, he was just lingering in the background. Do but, you use but, a lot of like game cameras and that just sort of you know scope sort of certain public or private land? Is that you? Is that something you use regularly or? Uh, trail cameras. I've got it. Like I've had a couple stolen, so that's always pretty unmotivating. Uh, why do they bastards do that? Oh, I don't know, but yeah, I've. Most well, I've got two cameras at the moment, and they're literally just sitting under my spare bed. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sometimes I've seen them out there. Like, and I'll be, yeah, I just like to have a bit of fun, you know. Why not? That's what it's all about, you know. When you sort of go hunting and enjoying yourself, and I'll normally cover my face and I'll jump in there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as in, so they can see sort of who, it, you know, no one's know who I am because I'm covering my face. But and when they look at, it, they go, "Oh shit! Someone saw my camera there and didn't take it." Wow, you know? Yeah, I, I I've seen quite a few. I just give them a thumbs up. But, you know, I, I honestly don't know why anyone would want to take someone else's camera, but that's just the world we live in today, unfortunately. Yeah, there's definitely some assholes out there. What about rabbits, foxes, mate? Do you get into any of that? Hares or you probably in Victoria, yeah. the odd duck shooting as well? Yeah, I, I haven't really got into duck shooting yet. And I should, though, because my dog, Remy, would like – she's fetched ducks for other shooters before and absolutely loves it, so I'll probably – do my duck ID next time it comes around. Uh, rabbits, oh, I do quite a bit up at my parents' place because they are they train race horses, so I can't have rabbit warrens and that around the paddocks because that's where their horses sort of live. So rabbits are on the hit list, and foxes obviously because yeah, my folks they farm sheep. So as soon as it's lambing season, I'm uh, up there most weekends looking for foxes. Any other species you want to take in Australia that you haven't taken yet? I would – I mean, I'm not going to say no to any species at all, but <laughs> it's it's one of, one of those things that I, I don't have anything that I'm like, oh, I have to go and hunt that that species. There's, there's nothing that's um, really motivating me to sort of get out of Victoria anytime soon to chase something sort of thing. The uh, the one main species I want to go back and hunt would be tar in New Zealand. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. 
Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. What about going over to New Zealand? First off, tell us about that experience, but any other places you'd like to go around the world to hunt other types of animals? And if so, which ones? Yeah. Uh, well, I've been to New Zealand twice. I went on a tar hunt last year, which was eight days. Well, like we chop it in. It was four of us to chop it in, and we yeah, lived in the tents for eight days. So it was absolutely epic and loved that trip. It was just really, really good fun and just unbelievable scenery in New Zealand. Like even even sort of, you know, you go to New Zealand and you, you start buying your gear and stuff like your, your stoves and that for cooking for when you're out in, the, out in the wilderness and just the people and like the hunting scene over there is just crazy. It's just very not frowned upon like kind of over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. then, and then uh, Seeker I did again this year, which we did, uh, I think we were in, we backpacked in for eight days. So that was really good fun. Like the, it's a mate and I always joke about that it's pretty much impossible to take a bad photo in New Zealand like anyone anyone with a phone camera over there and you take a photo and it just looks absolutely epic because just the scenery is probably it's probably one of my favorite parts about being in New Zealand is just just being like you just feel like an ant in the middle of just this amazing picturesque place you just feel very insignificant and uh, there's something about that that just makes me feel alive, I guess. Yeah, I've definitely got to get over there one day. I'd love to – I don't know what I'd like to hunt, though. I'm not sure. They've got a lot of different species I guess I'd be able to hunt. But some of the deer over there, I mean, man, they're huge. It's just like <laughs> I've seen some of the photos. And I don't know if some of these are, you know, farmed or whatever or they're, or they're on those sort of blocks that you can sort of go on and, you know, they're not cages sort of thing, but, you know, you go onto a property. Maybe it's a fenced-in property but quite large or something like that. But some of these ones I've seen, if they're, if they're on, you know, public land, they're just, man, the, the antlers, man, it's just crazy. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the uh, red deer and that are generally estate heads. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> Still, man, I was oh, just so big, like really, like makes I guess our I think our deer. Whether I mean, I'm not sure if we've got stock like that over here in Australia, but yeah, whether they're on you know farmed properties or whatever. But even just on farms, I've never seen, and perhaps there are, but even on definitely on public or private, I've never seen. Yeah, animals this big. I mean, I don't know what they got in the water over there, but whatever it is, we need it over here. I think it's what's in what's getting fed to them. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that too, some nice grain or something, you know what I mean? What about going overseas, man? Anywhere else you want to go? Is there any other countries you'd like to, on the bucket list, you'd like to visit and, you know, maybe hunt species? And if so, what it is? Um, I definitely want to go back to New Zealand and to, to hunt tar again, like like I said, I did the seeker, and that was great fun, and I, I got a representable stag. But the, the for whatever reason, the tar they're kind of like the samba to me. Tar are just like just next level, and I, I definitely want to go back to New Zealand and chase tar again, probably with the bow next time just to make my life a little bit more difficult. <laughs> definitely. I've seen the terrain. I've seen um, – and I think you'd made a video about it. I think I watched it the other night. Was that – was that you on a video that 
No, I don't think maybe it wasn't. I can't remember. There was one where I think someone shot a tar and someone was across from them filming them. I'm not sure if that was your video or not. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, probably would have probably would have yeah. been mine. And someone and you heard the crack and you go, well, someone's had a shot and then I think they hit it and it ran down a little bit and then obviously succumbed. But that was a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that would have been my video. Yeah, yeah. So. It's interesting, yeah, but- eh? Interesting animal, weird-looking animal as well. Like, I think if there's anything worse-looking than Samba, it's probably tar. Like, they're interesting, <laughs> but they're this big little hairy little, you know, like, it's like when I see a hog deer. I'm like, is this thing a little dog or what? is it a deer or what is it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe that, maybe that's why I like them, the, the two sort of ugly critters. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But other than tar, uh, I guess, I suppose most hunters would probably love to go over to the States one day and chase elk or something like that. But it's not something that I'm committing to or I, I have to sort of do it before I die sort of thing. It's not really, doesn't really phase me that much, honestly. What about the, the Canadas, the Americans, the Europe's or the Alaskas, anything up there that would interest you? If, if I had unlimited money, I'd be on a on a plane to Alaska straight away. Yeah. Well, you got the Africas as well. I mean, that's interests a lot of people as well. Yeah. I've never, never had the urge to go to Africa. I mean, it's, it's like anything, it'd be a great experience and I'd love to, and I don't, I mean, I can understand why people go there, you know, some 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 of my like, mates go there yearly, but it's just one thing that I've never, and that, if that could change, I might end up going over there one day and end up going over there every year, but at the moment, it's probably not really, yeah, high, like high up on my list of things to do. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Now, getting into the main part of the show is you started making some videos for YouTube. Now, I've done a quite a number of people especially just recently that uh you know make videos for youtube and they like that sort of thing so i guess why did you uh want to get into to making videos and i guess sharing your hunts on social media and the internet funnily enough it's i started basically wanting to video my hunts to make it harder <laughs> yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't really to it, it was to sort of share information and that with people and at the time i was doing a lot of hunts by myself and having the camera was almost like basically hunting with a mate this was before i was hunting with a dog or anything i was just basically i was hunting nearly every weekend and i just had this cheap nasty like camcorder and i would just go out and and just video deer and yeah video myself shooting deer and that started when i was probably about 19 or 20, something like that. And just sort of slowly progressed, I guess. Um, I, I got a few sponsors on board and, and they helped me out with some gear along the way. And and then I sort of started to think, well, I, you know, along with the sponsors, I thought I need to probably up the production quality. And so I, yeah, just started investing more time into getting better gear and better cameras and better microphones and et cetera, et cetera tripods and all, all that fun stuff and that's pretty much yeah where it all started off 
Interestingly, I spoke to a guy on Instagram the other day and he used to film a lot of his hunts as well. And he said, you know, he actually asked me an interesting question and I, I guess somewhat there's a, a degree of, of truth about it. He says, do you find it, you know, like having to film and, and, and does it take away from the, from the hunt? And I go, sometimes it does, yeah. Like, especially if you've got to get footage or you feel like you've got to get footage. I guess I, I want to know if you've ever felt that way as well because he, he sort of mentioned a story to me. We went to New Zealand and he goes, his mate wanted to film. And he goes, because I'm not sure who the guy was, apparently likes to make YouTube videos. That And then he he goes, I had a chance on a, on a tar and he sort of, yeah, it was ruined by the fact that he needed to get the camera set up to be able to film the shot and subsequently I came home empty-handed because you know by the time we got the camera set up we did this we did that the the tar was gone way out of range and I could have had more than an ample opportunity to shoot so do you ever think it sometimes may gets in the way of the hunt or do you do you welcome it or what do you think a hundred percent I've I've seen a lot of deer get away because of my freaking <laughs> camera <laughs> uh, but a lot of that was my fault so when when I started filming, I was I would if I if I had the gun with me, I had the gun strapped to the backpack, and I was carrying the camera and tripod, and that's pretty much how it stayed for quite a while, and it's probably only sort of been the last year or two where I've probably put filming and that a little bit on the back burner, and I've actually been carrying the rifle and strapping the camera and tripod to the pack, and and that and that was for that reason is like the amount of times I'd sort of, you know, creep into a gully or, or see it, you know, a, a handy stag, not very far out. And I'm busy trying to buddy get footage of it. And then it would take off and subsequently I'd get no footage and I wouldn't like, didn't get to shoot it either sort of thing. So definitely, definitely uh, feel that guy's pain with the tar. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's interesting. And what about, like, I mean, okay, give me some of the positives about making videos, but on the flip side, some of the negatives as well. I mean, even if you make videos, sometimes, you know, I've been on the end of this. I'm sure you have too. A lot of YouTubers have where, you know, either from the, the antis, from example, they may be not happy with it. You get a few idiots in the comments. But, you know, on the flip side too, where you get, sometimes you get hunters who, oh, I wouldn't do it this way and I wouldn't do it that way. And, you know, that's not humane or you're shooting at this distance. That's not good. And, what, what do you think about positives and negatives of, of what you see when you make videos and put yourself out there on social media? I mean, I do it, you do it. I know the, sometimes the trepidations of what I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis sometimes. Uh, the, the positives are, A, it's really good for um, basically for studying deer and patterning, patterning spots where they're going to be at what time of the year and what elevation they're at at what time of the year, things like that. When the majority of the deer are casting and not casting, I'm talking about Samba, obviously, because the um, fallow deer, you've generally got more of a set pattern, but Samba, like the other weekend, I was watching a face where I had a hard stag, a cast stag, and a velvet stag all in the same face. So that's, that's pretty sort of common around where I am where you can literally shoot a hard antlered rutting stag at any time of the year. You've just sort of got to sift in between the, the cast tags and the velvet stags. Uh, so geez, you've got it real you, tough, man. You've got it real tough. Hard life you've got there. <laughs> uh, sometimes you've got to, yeah, there's still hard work to find them though. But, but in terms of that, the footage and videoing, it's very handy because, and, and also the, like finding spots, um, I find that Samba definitely have 
preferences to some of the some of the basins and the gully heads and that that they're in so i can yeah like i said use footage to to work out i, I never like to use the word patterning with deer or with samba especially because they they can be so random <laughs> but in terms of getting a rough idea of where they're going to be at at what time of the year i think it's very beneficial and also even just i don't look back on my old videos very often but every now and again I will, and it's it's kind of cool. It sort of brings back a lot of memories, like like tr- a trophy on the wall would to a lot of people. So that's probably the main positives. The the negatives are, like you said, is some of the some of the backlash you get, and predominantly I find from for myself, it's normally not from like anti hunters and shit. It's it's normally just a a few hunters that I don't know got a bit of a gripe on their shoulder or something for whatever reason. <laughs> I know, I've been there, eh? It's like I've never had real trouble with, and I wish I did because they're the fun ones to deal with, but, you know, antis would be fun, but, yeah, like, you you know, and you've been there. I've spoken to a lot of guys that do a lot of YouTube videos, and I just spoke to um, a guy overseas who's got, you know, well over, shit, he's got over 330,000 subscribers and talks about, you know, the abuse that he gets, but not from... You know, um, you know the anti hunters more from, you know, shooters and that that find oh well you're doing this wrong you're doing that wrong. I was like, mate, why don't we push each other up instead of, you know, instead of sort of dragging each other down. Especially I mean, if you got beefs in the you know other issues in the community, you know, but each other is just hunters and shooters together. I, mean, I don't know why we you know, need to have a go at each other, but yeah, exactly. Like I've I've regularly say that hunters are hunters' own worst enemies and. And YouTube's unfortunately, well, Facebook and Instagram. Probably not so much Instagram. I probably see less less drama on Instagram, but on Facebook and on the hunting pages and on YouTube, I see a lot of uh, yeah, just a, a lot of people for whatever reason making stupid comments or putting people down instead of, instead of just saying well done. They, they you know they go on a rant about how far I shot the frigging deer from or whatever it is, and yeah, and and it's unfortunately a lot of. And sometimes I think it's because the person's too passionate. They, they're too passionate about, about deer and hunting. Like a lot of people forget that, you know, some, some of us are basically out trying to shoot as many deer as possible for property owners. And yeah, that's fair enough. Some people might not like that, but you don't need to sort of put anyone down because of it either. But sometimes I think too, you know, like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm like, why don't those people put their videos up? And you know, we can instead of having a go at someone else for putting videos up, why not put up some yourself? And then we can enjoy their content as well. Like it doesn't, you know, sometimes I not think it's maybe you know people, you know, you're out there hunting samba, you've got access to properties, you've got access to where you know there's going to be deer, you might have some good public land hunting spots. And sometimes I think you know people just want to sling mud because maybe. You know, sometimes they're jealous of, well, yeah, yeah, Tony Vizembo's got a YouTube channel. He's got access to deer. I don't. I've got none of that. And, you know, it's easy just to sling mud at people sometimes. I'd like to see people get together, you know, behind each other. And, you know, and I've, I've done this in the in the past. You know, I'm not happy with some things people, not people, hunters do, how our organisations may not represent us in the best way possible. But as hunters and just the basic ground, you know, the, the lemmings like us, so to speak, we should be supporting each other. Yeah, 100%. And that's... Like generally, if, if I get any sort of stupid comments like that, I normally just delete them because it's not even worth my time worrying about them because I really, I really don't care what they think or what they say. So, uh, yeah, I normally just delete it and avoid the drama, ignore it, move on. But for the most part, 
I have very little issues with with any backlash or, you know, sort of negativity in general. Most I feel like most people are, you know, pretty supportive and hopefully it continues that way. <laughs> it's actually it's probably getting better, I, I will say. I, I feel like hunting in, in terms of social media is probably getting more – I think more and more people are getting used to it, I guess. But they're, they're used to people hunting and, and there's a lot of, you know, the free-range and organic movements sort of starting to, to happen and there's probably a lot more support for for eating meat than there used to be. And, and I think hunting's uh, an easy way for a lot of, you know, whether people are starting to, to want to include more free-range stuff and that in their diets or whatever. Hunting's probably an easier way for someone to engage in that because – they think, oh, well, that, that animal is literally the most free-range animal there is. And, you know, this person shot it and eating it or utilising it, whatever they're doing with it. So, You're 100% right. Let's talk about utilising game meat. We've got a bunch of topics that you just brought up that I do want to discuss as well, but we'll start with that one first. What about eating? How do you normally prepare? What's your sort of go-to, you know, number one meal, steaks? What parts of the animal? What do you enjoy? Uh, my number one is back straps and I'll normally age them in the fridge for about 10 to 14 days and then then I'll cut off basically it sort of dries out a bit I'll cut off any bad bits and the and the silver skin and then cut them up into steaks like basically just sizzle steaks and just yeah cook them in butter mm. very quick very hot and I generally I don't even have sauce or anything on them. Half the time I'll just eat them out of the pan with my hands like a like a true bachelor. <laughs> right. What What do you mean sizzle? So what? Fairly thin or your or a decent sort of thickness, but just hit them hot and hard both sides. Normally about ten to fifteen mil in sort of thickness, and yep. it's literally chuck them in, basically flip them straight away on just on, on a hot pan, and and then yeah, eat them eat them medium rare. What about the legs? Do you got roast? I don't really sort of have much roast. So I sort of try and put them in, you know, yeah, backstrap steaks, you know, maybe some of the legs, do some steaks from there, you know, front legs, probably sausages and stuff like that. You know, it depends on how deep I want to go. Sometimes we'll have the, the heart on the hunt. We'll have maybe the tenderloins as well. And, man, one time even my mate said, he goes, I don't know what you did a couple of years ago because I've never had tenderloins that good. We had like a little steel bucket and we put some, you know, a bit of wood in there and he had a top for it and we just put a bit of i think it was like garlic salt with one of the i don't know a little herb oh mate i'm telling you even he said he goes mate i still can't forget that and i said mate you'll never <laughs> you'll never forget me mate don't worry about that <laughs> it's funny how um you can associate a memory like that with with just a memorable piece of food oh i gotta that admit was, that was pretty good that was kind of like me when i um was eating seeker up on top of the we were backpacking and I was eating Seeker using a little cast antler as a fork. And uh, that was that was definitely a memorable <laughs> moment. <laughs> Just on top of this massive mountain living out of a little tent, eating Seeker with a cast antler. Just a bit of butter. It just tastes delicious. Like I've had heart cut off a bit of the, a lot of the white stuff on the heart. And, oh, mate, we just – nothing better is there, I reckon. Like, oh, you know what I used to – Tony, I used to enjoy, like, first off before, like, I shot one, I just thought, yeah, it's about the shot. It's about getting it. But I tell you what, butchering skills, that's really something that I really enjoy that. I really working and processing an animal. I mean, is that the same for you? 
not really, no. <laughs> not with the many you shoot. I mean, I'm just a, a nerd from Sydney, so I probably don't shoot anywhere as near as much for you. But learning the, you know, the seams and learning how to break down an animal, it's certainly a skill, that's for sure. It, it definitely is. Like, I'm, I'm definitely probably sport for choice. I, I pretty much could live off. I can like basically just do just live off back straps and I, I sometimes keep the shanks. I never used to. I used to just give them to the dogs, which a few of my mates thought I was mad, and they always used to joke with me about why I'm feeding like one of the best parts of the deer to the dogs. But uh, most of the legs, same thing. They'll generally go to dog meat, or or if I've got a few people at work, I give meat to. Um, they're avid venison eaters, yeah. but for the most part, like. It's it's trying to find a balance between keeping property owners happy and shooting enough deer for them and still being able to utilise it. And a lot of people say, oh, why would you waste that on the dogs and whatever? But basically with, with me and my family, is the, the dogs are part of the family. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to throw, throw Remy a, a full Samba back leg and let her eat that over a few days. Or I've got, you know, other friends that have dogs that, they absolutely love and adore and yeah i'll give them deer legs as well and it's i'd rather do that than think about a fox eating on the carcass kind of thing so when you like when you're out hunting on the especially on private and you brought up something very interesting that i was sort of wanted to delve into when you're going to these properties is there an expectation because a lot of expectations from different farmers there's not obviously no expectation on public land to you know have to take an animal but if you're out there is it generally amongst the farmers that you talk to like you're there for a reason that is to remove you know as many deer as you possibly can what what's sort of happening in the areas that you're hunting yeah it's generally try to shoot as many as you can and it's it's i mean i generally always try if i'm going on private property i'll generally try and always shoot one um sometimes i'll take the bow and you know i'll just have a bow hunt and and the owners are pretty good most owners are pretty good they some of them don't mind if you're not shooting many but then others you've you know you've definitely got to basically prove that you're you're keeping the numbers in check or they'll they'll get other people in to do the job instead sort of thing it's it's a fine line and and you know some of the properties i hunt most of the properties i hunt at the moment i've i've got a pretty good relationship with the owners so i've got a little bit more flexibility but they they still have other people go out there and hunt as well which is like what i was saying is is you, you can't it's very difficult to to ma- to manage any sort of um let them go, let them grow sort of thing because someone could be out there spotlighting the next night and, you know, shoot that deer or, you know, whatever. Because, yeah, all the properties I hunt on, they they happily sort of let spotlighters and everything on. So you've kind of got to, yeah, kind of got to decide at the time whether you're going to shoot it or not shoot it and, and, and half expect to have that same deer shot the next day potentially. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. 
Yeah. What about, um, I want to talk about dogs because I've seen a bunch of your videos. You've got this little shaggy looking thing, this uh, little brown <laughs> thing. It uh, looks like a cute little thing. But what do you use dogs for and, and what uh, sort of, how do, how do you utilize a dog out in the field? Because I just find it very interesting as well that, you know, do you use it to, to try and point deer at some situations? How does it work? Give me a rundown. Yeah, well, Remy's obviously a German wirehead pointer, but a lot of people mistake her for like a poodle cross because <laughs> she's so shaggy. <laughs> but yeah, she, she will generally walk probably twenty to thirty meters ahead of me if I if I'm bush stalking, and and she'll indicate deer. So she'll basically indicate, and then I could sort of start looking around and work out where that deer is and whether it's onto me or not, which is especially handy in, in like bow hunting scenarios where quite often, yeah, you're in thick country and if you've got something out in front of you that you can keep an eye on and, and did just do not care about dogs very much. So Remy can be out in full view of the deer and the deer won't, won't run from her. So, and generally the deer will be fixated on her so I can sort of try and sneak in and, and sort of, you know, plan my attack on it sort of thing. I saw one of your videos. Now, this one blew my mind. I thought, wow, I think you, you, little Remy was probably, I don't know, maybe not far in front of you because you were filming. And then it was one of your, I think it was like a hunt, like maybe 27 or 2018, one of your good moments sort of thing. And then this little Samba Doe, or it might have been a male female, it was only a little small one, popped up in front of you sort of in some ferns. And little Remy was sitting there, I don't know, it's probably only about 10 or 15 metres away, and it was sort of looking at you and looking at the dog and going, what's going on here? That sort of was crazy. Yeah, yeah, They the dog definitely buys you some time, that's for sure. Like there's been quite a few times where if I hadn't had Rem with me, like I just wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have seen the deer that I've seen sort of thing. And uh, even I, I was hunting with a mate, Oh, when was this? Remy was only really young. She was probably oh, she was only probably a few months old and I walked into this spot with a mate and he had Remy's mum, like the guy that bred her. And anyway, he shot this shot this quite a nice Samba stag and he said the only reason he had time to shoot it was because the stag sort of saw him but was then looking at his dog and that gave him time to shoot it. But he reckoned if if he didn't have his dog there that stag probably would have just taken off, which they regularly do. With the dog with you as well, is it how, how effective are they at sort of, you know, picking up scent and if you, like, they know something's in the area, is it, I mean, you know, give us like a, a percentage-wise, is it 50% effective? I mean, do you have a lot more success when you're sort of using a dog that can point and, and that type of thing? Depends on the hunting. For bush stalking, 100%. Like, I, I pretty much dabble in quite a few forms of hunting, like a bow hunt and, I'd love my long range sort of hunting as well and and sitting and glassing on opposite faces. And in that aspect, having a dog's really of not much benefit until after the shot where, you, you know, where you can get them to blood trail or track it out if, you know, if it's rained to some thick country or whatever has happened. But for bush stalking, I would say probably a 50% increase on your chances with a dog out in front of you, like a good dog. And what she'll she'll point when obviously it gets onto a scent and be still. So what indication does does it give when you know like you you maybe it could be an animal up ahead or to your left or right that you just can't see. Yeah, she'll normally stop and point or just stop and like basically hold yeah hold a point or hold a pose. But you can tell straight away like they sort of go from sort of relaxing, relaxingly walking along to just stops and fixated on something. So you know, or or they'll work the wind. They'll sort of sit down. And they'll 
put up their put up their little nose and you can sort of see it working so you know something's in the area. What distance do you find like, you know, if you've if she has pointed a deer or he's pointed a deer, is it male or female the dog? I gotta get that right. Yeah, it's a she. <laughs> she. So she's if she's pointing the deer, what and you've actually like been onto the deer, how far do you reckon they can sort of pick him up from? How at what distance do you think when she sort of gets onto gets onto a scent? I've seen her wind scenting like I was watching Sandra on the face one day and they were I think two or three hundred yards away and we had a pretty strong wind in our face, but she was hundred percent could smell them and she couldn't see them at the time and I could just see them. But yeah, I'd say that it it would probably depend on the dog and its nose and the conditions as well. But I'd say with the right conditions, yeah, you'd be looking at sort of three, four hundred yards that they would be able to sort of wind scent something from. Yeah, it's just crazy. I've got to get myself one of these little pooches, man. <laughs> Definitely. But uh, long-range shooting, man, very good. Something I enjoy too, especially long-range hunting. I don't get to do as much as I'd like to, but I'm increasing my skills as the time goes on. So let's talk about a bit of gear, which is always fun. And we spoke before the show, and you, you said you're a bit of a gear whore like me, which is great. So let's talk about let's talk about some guns. What you you know, if you don't mind, anyway, what you what your own calibers, and give me a bit of a rundown with that. Um. Well, the colours I own at the moment are currently a, a 223, which is just a Tigger T3X, and that's my Fox rifle. And then I've got a little Kimber Hunter 308 with a Z5 3, 3.5 to 18x44. That's basically a backpacking rifle. It's like three kilos with the scope. Uh, I took that on the tar trip to New Zealand. I shot my tar at, I think it was 485 yards or something like that. Is for a little three kilo rifle, I yeah definitely love that little gun. It's pretty versatile for what what it is. Then my main sort of go to Samba and fellow rifle is my Seiko A7 Rough Tech Pro, which is in seven mil rem mag, and that's got a Kale six twenty four I on it. And yeah, it's it's certainly accounted for quite a lot of deer. And then I also, which we spoke about before, before we were recording as well, the uh, 338 lap, which is my brother's Ruger Precision, and it's got a 7 or 35 by 56 Night Force attacker on it. I'm sure on one video, I think it was yours, um, were you running a Cytron at one stage, I think? Is that your video? Yeah, yeah, well. yeah I, I, I've had two different Cytrons on the 7 mil, and for the money, they are a very, very good scope. Just track amazingly accurately but the the only reason i swapped scopes on them was i just wanted a little bit better glass and better low light sort of ability so that's why i went to the kales well, that's an interesting point too as i got a 308 as well and i got just a standard three to nine or that's sort of my th- probably like you thick sort of scrub you know hunting gun as in you know probably up to 100 150 200 meters but uh, i've got to look for something else i think a bit later on in the Maybe a lighter barrel, but something with a bit more oomph and a different style scope. Because sometimes, you know, you don't, you don't like you. I've seen the different terrain you hunt in, and yeah, I mean, if you're going to walk into a property and you can glass onto another side of a, yeah, the, you know, another face of the property, another hill, and then you know, four, five, six hundred yards away, and you're you know, comfortable taking those shots. You know, having the equipment to do that, I mean, it's okay for me to have that three away, but when it's got a three to nine and I don't have any turrets to, you know, work out some shooting solutions with, like I've got with my other rifles, it, it, it starts to get a bit annoying after a while. So, you know, I need to pick up something else, especially in a lighter barrel, because a couple of my other sort of long range hunting guns are heavy barrels. And man, you don't want to lug those into a property, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I um, the lap that my brother's got eight point two kilos, and I've been lugging it around the last three days. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't really bother me because it gives me a lot of a lot of flexibility. Um, and it definitely hits with some authority. Like I, I shot a stag yesterday morning at five hundred eighty five, and it pretty much just felt almost like a chip shot. It was a pretty strong wind, but yeah, it. There was this bang flop and down and out, and then yeah, shot a, another little stag the afternoon before. Same thing. You you just sort of basically send you around, and you know they're not going anywhere. On that, sorry, did you say the other one was a Kimber? Was it? Was it, did you say three oh eight? Was that correct? Sorry if I got that. Yeah, 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 the Kimber Hunter, which is like their their budget sort of version that they came out, but was still lightweight and it's got a pretty, it's got like a honeycombed forehead, so it's pretty stiff. And for what it is, that thing shoots unbelievably accurate. Yeah, with that, when you were going over to New Zealand, like shooting that, you said four hundred eighty-five yards. What is that? The one with the chaos? What sort of scopes are you using on all your rifles? Do you, do you stick with the sort of turret, you know, dialing solutions? Are you more of a hold over? Use the reticle? How are you sort of getting out to those longer distances? Uh, always dial. Even on the on the Kimber, I've got the Z five Swarrow, which with the ballistic turret, and I find. It's probably the perfect scope for that rifle. I, I had that scope on a, a Christians at Arms 300 Ultra Mag, and it wasn't enough scope for that rifle. It was very limiting for that rifle. But I find for the, you know a 308 something around that range, the Swaro ballistic turrets are absolutely brilliant. Very simple, easy. Probably the easiest way for someone to get into long range shooting, and they're quite affordable with with good quality glass. But for a dedicated long-range rifle, yeah, they're definitely a bit limiting. So yeah. that's why I put the put the Cytrons on to begin with on the on the seven mil, and then end up going down the the Kales path just for yeah better glass. When you're getting your solutions, what are you, are you using? Anything in particular like a Strelok, one of the apps? Are you using Ballistics AE? What do you generally use? Oh, with with a with a three oh eight and the. the the Kimber, it's literally just a rangefinder, and then you've got your. I have, I have it. All my rifles are zero at two hundred yards on the dot, so it just keeps everything very simple. It gives me a very, if if I range something at three hundred, I I don't even need to dial. I can just you know hold a bit higher and know I'm going to hit it, sort of thing. Uh, a lot of sort of long range people zero everything at a hundred, which. Gives you a more accurate zero, but then if if you do need to make a snapshot at 300, something like that, you've got a lot more bullet drop to try and allow for. So I just keep everything at 200 and, yeah, using applied ballistics. But with the Kimbra, it's just, I mean, you've probably seen the, the Swarrow ballistic turrets. You've got, like, little coloured rings. Ah, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's right, yep, yep. Yeah, it's just like a coloured dot, so it's zero to 200. Turn it to the the green dot. That means three hundred. Turn it to the yellow dot. Means four hundred, and the red dot means six hundred for me, or five hundred. Sorry. And for the seven mil and three three eight lap, we're running applied ballistics on our phones, like me and my brother both are. And also for the seven mil, I have it uh, the Leica twenty two hundred HDBs, the range finding binos, which. Spit me, spit me out a real time dial or correction. So they take into account the temperature and atmospheric conditions and all that jargon. 
so if I'm yeah, if I'm somewhere that's say fourteen hundred meters above sea level, it'll adjust automatically to what. Basically, I just hit the range button, and then it'll give me a solution based on where I am and what the weather is. Yes, that long range shooting, mate. It's certainly. I was just away a couple of weeks ago. I got a two sixty Remington. I'm looking for something a little bit bigger, but I've got a two four three Varmint in ticker. I've got a two sixty Varmint. I mean, I was whacking like a you know two hundred not three you know thirty. 300 mil gong basically 291 mil gong at like 640 meters on on you know i think i missed what well, when i had it dialed in i think it was like i missed two out of like 21 shots it's like man, yeah this, it's this, good going <laughs> this is like crazy it's like, i can't wait to sort of step it up but i'm still yeah I'm, i've thought about seven mil rem mag i'm thinking 300 wsm 300 win mag just you know your, your stock standard I don't know yet. I've got to think about it because, and I've got to think about, you know, I've got the 308 for the scrub hunting, but I'm not sure if I'm going to go the lighter route and put a scope on it. That might be a bit, you know, because when you lug around a, mine's probably a 10 pound rifle, you know, four and a half to th- you know, 30 by 56 scope, you know, muzzle brake, you know, varmint barrel, 20 MOA yeah. rail, GRS stock, man, <laughs> fucking adds up, you know what I mean? Yeah, it gets heavy. gets heavy. But speaking about that too, what about reloading? Do you go with, I think I saw in one of your videos, you were using the ELDX, I'm using 143s and the 260. What's your reloading like? You reload for everything or just some things? Um, at the moment, I'm not reloading anything. So the we're running the factory ELDMs through the 338 lap at the moment, yep. but they're like $9 a shot. So Jeez. I'd say my brother, <laughs> I'd say my brother will start handloading for that. But, but yeah, we, uh, what did he, he shot like a, I think it was a six inch group for three shots at I think 850 yards the other week, something like that, just with the factory ammo. So it's more than capable with the factory ammo. That's just very expensive for the seven mil I'm using, the 162 grain ELDX factories and I've shot Samba out past 700 with them without any issues. I also do load the 168 grain Burger VLD as well. And that's, yeah, my own hand loads for that. And then for the, then for the 308, I use the 178 grain factory ELDX. I, I used to hand load flat chat. And then when I found those factory Hornady precision hunters, those things just, yeah, they just shoot shoot well, and I've been very happy with the performance of the bullet. So, a lot of people have been using those, you know, even though the ELDX, which I use, a lot of the people, even now, a couple of guys that I've been talking to, a lot of them are using the, even though they say you shouldn't, the uh, ELD matches and getting really good results, especially when it sort of slows down towards that long range sort of trajectory where the ELDX, when they start to slow up, they're not. They're sort of punching right through. That's what the, yeah, that's what the guys. That's what I'm hearing anyway. And then, the, but, the, but the matches are good. Yeah, apparently we use we use the matches in the three rate lap. How's and that have, hitting them good? Well, we've ne- never used more than one shot on. It's, I think we've shot I think five or six stags or something with it this this year, and it's all been one shot kills. And that's from ranges varying from like 250 yards to I think about 600. So. Yeah, it's that they're certainly certainly a very very good bull, and I, I've got quite a few mates that are on the ELDMs in their 300 WSMs as well, and they prefer them over the ELDX. Because if they if they're going to hit, I mean Hornady say no not to use them apparently, but you know what I'm hearing guys shooting goats, deer at you know good long range distances and you know bang flop, you know, and if they're not, they're only running, you know, that can happen with any bull that might only run 10, 15, 20 meters in open country and they're flopping over anyway, so. Yeah, no, the well from the 
performance where like the the autopsies we've done on the ELDMs have been very impressed. In in fact, if if the if I could get factory ELDM ammo for the seven mil, I'd probably would probably buy some and just try it out. Um, I've also I don't know whether you know, like you probably would definitely know Gunworks. Yep. Yep. That. They, they all, basically all they, they're basically dedicated long ranges. They all use ELDMs in their rifles for hunting as well. So just, yeah, just because it's a supposedly a target bullet doesn't mean it can't be an effective sort of long range projectile either. And exactly. And if you can't hit them at long range, you know, because they're, you know, due to, you know, breakdown of the bullet or maybe not accurate at long range. That's why I love the, the 6.5s, but even the heavy, uh, th- yeah, the 30 cal bullets. I mean, the ballistics on some of these new bullets coming out is just insane. Yeah, the the ballistic coefficients on that, it is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, just like flying really well. Whereas I was out a couple of weeks ago shooting the 243 with like some Blitz Kings. And I'm, th- I'm sitting to myself like, why am I having trouble shooting a 243 at like 550, 600? Because yeah, it's a Blitz King. It's not really meant for that type of long range shooting, you know? So, yeah. You know? It's funny you say that though. Like, I've got a mate that he's got a, it's basically just a factory. T3X 243. He's put in a KRG stock and that, and he uses the factory 87 grain V maxes. And he regularly, like, it's pretty much hard for him to miss like a 12 by 12 plate at 800 yards with his factory factory V maxes. The thing's ridiculous. It's crazy, isn't it? With those, especially those, like the 87s, a lot of guys, and I might even go back to the 87s. I'm not even sure yet. I just didn't have that great of results. But when I did some testing a couple of weeks ago on the 70 grain Blitz King, like, I like it. It's, it's frangible and it's good. But I just don't know. There's that little bit of hitting power, just that extra ballistic coefficient on the 87s i think they're around 400 where the the 70 grain blitz are about i think 2, 2 289 299 just make me out close to 300 so just that bit extra just that bit of extra hitting power you know might send me back to them so i might have to do some load testing but um going on again what about a couple more questions then before we finish off binos and that we'll talk about binos a little bit before we started so tell us about what you go to for glassing and stuff like that Go to for for bow hunting. I always grab the. I've got Soiree SLC HDs, which are ten by forty twos, and I run them with a Leopold the RX sixteen hundred rangefinder. So that's my bow hunting and the three hundred eight combo. And then if I'm using the seven mil, I always grab the the Leica twenty two hundred HDBs, just because as soon as like I said, as soon as I hit that rangefinder button there. I've got a little ballistic, um, it's like a little micro SD card that goes in the binos and you have your ballistic information input in there. So it's set up for the seven mil. So I hit the rangefinder button and it'll spit out the distance and then give me a correction in the, in the, um, in the eyepiece so I can just dial up straight away and know that I'm going to be on. And then for for big country, I've got the Meopto Star 15 by 56 HDs, which, as I said to you earlier, I probably don't really use them that often anymore just because a lot of, even, you know, even when you're glassing out to a K or more, you can generally, if you've got 10 power binos on a tripod, you can generally tell whether it's, you know, a stag or a buck or whatever. And I also use my... Sony RX104 as basically my spotting scope, which is it's just a yeah, 
just my my camera that I video my hunts with now. That's that's what I use to assess assess the uh, quality of the animal. There's a lot of, uh, and I think I was talking to um, uh, Steve from Bold Action Productions as well not long ago. And yeah, talk about the long range hunting stuff and people feeling comfortable. I mean, obviously you feel comfortable in taking those shots. Obviously you wouldn't take them, but there seems to be a lot of conjecture about that. A lot of what hunters think, you know, is ethical and stuff like that. And you know, what's what's your thoughts on that in general? I th- I generally think, well, you know, if you're confident taking the shot and you've done a lot and you're practicing and you feel comfortable and there's no element of doubt in your mind that you're going to take the animal, I think any distance really, provided the skill level is there, is is more than appropriate if you if you know you can take that shot. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I sort of agree that if you've sort of been in that situation on targets and that before, and you're confident that you're gonna you're gonna put the bullet where you're aiming that's i see that as fine but i think that it's such a yeah it's a pretty touchy subject probably for a lot of people but it's 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 up to each individual to make that decision whether it's ethical or not i don't think we can say what's ethical about someone else's shooting that's that's up to the shooter that's their decision to make about their their own ability and their equipment and their gear and how much sort of practice they've put in and whether they can read the wind and mirage to to work out whether their their bullet's actually going to go where they're aiming sort of thing. I don't have a set range myself. I it just probably depends what rifle I'm using. I know with the with the the Kimber 308, I do not like shooting past 400 with it. I I know it can do it. Like I, I shot that tar at 485, but I would have much rather got closer. But at the time, I was very glad that I had that ability and had shot it out to 500 multiple times so I could take that tar at 485. I reckon with, there's with nothing like that, is there, when you actually got that distance and, you, and you're hitting him and you're confident at long range. Oh, man, what a feeling, eh? What a feeling. 100%. And, yeah, with a 7 mil, I would say pretty much anything under 700 is in very big trouble. And, and, then, <laughs> and then with the lap, yeah, sort of. Yeah, it's more out to near a thousand. Like we've, I don't purposely. I mean, I always try. I still try to get close. Some sometimes you can't get close, and it's probably a bit steep saying that because a lot of people would say, "Oh, well, just don't sort of shoot at it." But yeah, like I said, if if you're confident in the shot and you feel like you're going to make a clean kill, and and one thing I will mention is I've seen plenty of deer get shot and lost by stalkers and. They've, you know, shot a deer in close and you've got to go back in and try and find it and it's been a bad shot. And frequently I find that, and, and I've made the same same mistake myself, is hitting them too high up just in no man's land. Yeah. It seems to be a pretty common thing is hit, hit the deer and it just looks like it drops on the spot but you actually haven't hit anything of importance and, yeah, go over there and, it gets up and runs away. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people talk about that. You know, they're always judge, sometimes judging other people on the shots. And well, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. And then, you know, every, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm, I'm honest too. I've had a situation where I've not been, not, not so long range. This was actually, to be honest, it was probably about maybe 120, 125. And, you know, that was probably when I got a more complacent than the long range stuff because I just thought it was an easy guaranteed shot. And um, I think more the angle got me than anything because it was quite a steepish angle. So, 
I think, you know, I undid myself by not doing the correct sort of calculations. But at that time, I didn't have anything. And, you know, I think when people say, well, you know, they've never in their whole life pulled off a not optimal shot and maybe had to follow up with a second. I mean, they're just bullshitting to people. Like, I think it's happened to everyone. Everyone's been that experience. And sometimes things don't work out, even if the conditions are right. A hundred percent. If if they're saying that they haven't shot enough deer, <laughs> that's it too. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, or whether it was a duck, maybe, and you haven't, you didn't, you know, you didn't line it up properly, and you know, but these things happen. It's just trying to get better for next time and try not to let it happen. Or if it does happen, trying to you know follow up and and, and do the job you know, as quick as you possibly can. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, there's there's always going to be there's always going to be the few times where something hasn't gone right and. And yeah, you'll you'll feel like shit for a bit, but you've just got to try and try and think that we you know what have what have I learned from it? And yes, like you said, how can I prevent this from happening again? So and, and just yeah, doing your best to, to to follow it up. And yeah, I think I think everyone's probably lost a deer or two in the in their hunting career. So it's just one of those things that unfortunately happens and will always happen because there's there's always going to be human error and environmental conditions and factors involved and terrain and how exhausted you are and whether you've made the shot off hand and all, all those different things. But we've just, yeah, just got to basically do what we can to, to minimise all of that and try and just make the best shot we can. With the, what are you saying with the rough tech? Are you, you said the Kimber was a light one, if I was correct. What about the, the rough tech? Are they a heavy barrel? Are they a mid or are they a light sporter? What are they? <laughs> It's sort of a mid and it's fluted, but overall, I think it's about four, four and a half kilos. It's a, a pretty heavy rig, but I've just, I, and actually I was, I went through a phase where I was nearly debating about selling it and the Kimber and just building a lightweight something, whether it was a seven mil rem mag or also sort of considered the 300 PRC um and and just sort of doing a, a lightweight do-it-all gun the only issue i have is because of the dog i don't like muzzle brakes so yeah, bit, bit hard on the dog's ears yeah yeah so i'm sort of at the moment i'm just putting up with and one one benefit about it being heavy is it sucks to carry it around <laughs> but when I take a shot, having that stable platform, like shooting the seven mil compared to the three oh eight, because the Kimber's so light, it is very difficult to to be like to take a steady shot. Yeah. But but having the extra weight and then and then the laps the next thing again, like I said, it's like eight point two kilos. Shooting it compared to the seven mil, it's like <laughs> Yeah, it's just such a stable platform. You 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 shoot it and you know, there's no movement of the gun and your breathing isn't moving the rifle at all sort of thing, whereas with a lighter weight rifle, it's something you've got to try and consider. I, know, I remember because I, remember I got a three oh eight two ticker super light, so it's probably <laughs> it's probably a similar weight, I guess it would be to yours. And I used to think, uh, you know, recall pads like oh, this is a gimmick, you know, like okay, it's better than having not having one. But some of the recall pads I've seen out there, um, I look at them and go, is this even going to do anything? But then my mate <laughs> said to me, he goes, get one of these, and it's, I, mean, I should be getting paid for this, but I'm not. But he goes, Limb Saver Airtech, and I said, oh yeah, and he goes, mate, trust me, you won't go wrong. 
Mike, Mike is sure I could before with the, even with the three hour wait off a bench with the re, you know with the uh, factory ticker pad. Yeah, after a while it certainly starts to get annoying after about twenty or th- twenty five shots. But with the Limb Saver Air Tech, oh man, I could, honestly I could shoot that thing all day. And even off the bench, I'm a taller guy, six two, almost six three. I'm trying to get down on the rifle. Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult. Nothing worse than bench shooting with a heavy caliber. Sometimes if you you know, you can't set the bench up to your specific height that you need. But, mate, honestly, I could shoot that thing all day. It's got, it's honestly the next best thing to a muzzle brake. Even I was shocked because I thought all that shit was a gimmick. So, yeah, I actually think they're better than a muzzle brake. And yeah, all my rifles have limb savers on them. <laughs> yeah, I know. it's that air tech. I don't know what's in there, but I hope it, you know, I hope it lasts for a while to come because it's certainly a bloody welcome addition. But, mate, to finish off, I guess, I mean, it's a couple of things I want to say. What's two from here? I mean, you're making videos. Is it more just a fun thing? Is it something you want to take further for the future? What have you got coming up? That's a couple of good questions there. At the moment, it's the, the video. Like, I, I'm still videoing a lot, like, more so just – more so just videoing the kill shot. I'm not really videoing uh, a story sequence or anything like I used to as much. And that's, I just sort of probably lost a little bit of passion and I was more, lately I feel like I've probably just been hunting more for myself opposed to, you know, going out and just trying to get footage and that for, you know, for the viewers and for YouTube and whatever. So I actually sort of enjoyed that, just taking a little bit of a step back from from filming everything and and just enjoying hunting again for what it is. But for for future, like I'll I'll be continuing uploading videos and that, and I've actually I've got a whole massive backlog of <laughs> videos I actually need to edit up. But yeah, at the moment, I I just absolutely hate video editing so i'll do that when i when i feel like oh, it oh man i hear you. people like it's funny I, and i tell this to a lot of people and i know it'll sound like a whinging because most people that listen to what i do will be going you know he's saying it again you know but people don't realize the the process they yeah i guess somewhat video is a bit different to what i do like somewhat probably mine's probably a bit easier because you know a lot of my people are overseas in australia they're in different states it's hard to get together so it's a lot of phone it's a lot of me sitting in my sort of home studio bed room getting it done and but the editing process i mean people will just see that that one hour show podcast or even this show they'll just listen to that and they think that's great but even when you do videos they don't realize it's the getting out there and filming the huge editing process the rendering the the uploading i mean i make a few youtube videos here you know for a bit of fun and more so for my, like you said more so for myself to look back and say well yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that hunt, but uh, people don't realise what goes into a 13-minute video they might sit there and watch at night compared to, you know, what we had to go to. Like, I had to send you questions, we spoke, we yeah, we didn't do a lot, but we corresponded, we sent a few things backwards and forwards, do the show, editing, and then getting it out on the internet. <laughs> it's like a lot of work, it's a lot of work, you know? It definitely adds up, and that's it's probably one of the reasons why and most people will understand as soon as I say this, but if, if you take notice of a lot of YouTube channels, most people will go real hard for a little while and then, out, just, yeah. and then, and, and then you, you just burn out because it is so much work and so much effort and, and time that you, and it's like there's people think YouTube's, you know, full of making money and everything, which yeah, exactly, for, the, yeah. for, for the, for the right channel, there is probably a lot of money involved, but for for hunting channels and that, there's next to nothing. Like I've probably, I'd say with my channel in the last 
uh, probably two years, I might have made maybe 500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I tell guys when I interview them. I say, guys, like if people have got, you know, supporting them, just, I don't know, just, you know, man, and I do it too. Like I've got my own patron. I've got a bunch of people, which I, I love those guys and I really appreciate. They see value in what, you know, not, not just I do, but, you know, I'm also, say, a Patreon supporter for a, a bunch of other channels as well because I just hate seeing, and I really do, and I've spoken to a lot of people about this, I just hate seeing really good channels that I enjoyed, and I may have been supporting, but let's say other people weren't, or at the time people weren't supporting them, whatever, maybe they didn't feel like they could ask for money off people to support the channel, and then, yeah, that, they're gone, like they're literally gone, and some of the best content I've seen has just disappeared because, and exactly what you said, they burn out. They go, it's a lot of work to film. It's a lot of, you know, takes away from the, and we spoke about that at the beginning. Um, you know, it takes a little bit away from the, the experience of hanging out with your mates. And I guess just to give someone else some free content to enjoy you know, after work on a, on, a, on a Monday or Tuesday night for them. So, you know, I always say people, get, help them out. Even if it's some gear, you know, jump in, get, help them out. The importers, I think, you know, there's a lot of good people that are helping people in the industry at the moment. But I think, Compared to what we're seeing in Canada and you know, the US and even parts of Europe, you know, a lot of these organizations, importers, people that big products and are really throwing their weight behind a lot of people. And I, I just, I'm not really seeing that to a certain degree here. I am to a certain degree, but I don't think it's where it should be. Yeah, it's probably definitely not to the level of the States and that. And that's, and that's another thing, like most channels that I follow that, are generally longer lasting generally have their own like they've got hired cameraman or film crew guys sort of thing they're they're not people doing it for themselves and that's like i um i'm sure you would have heard of solo hunters that's yep. I'll, I'll give tim burnett so much credit for that because that's one channel that just has not burnt out or died out and he's like him and remy are doing all that themselves it's it's a and they were probably like I actually started videoing my hunts before I really knew of them, and then I found them and was like, "Oh, these guys are doing what I want to do." So they were a massive inspiration to 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 get me to where I am with the videoing and that now. Just insane, man! It's just good. It's good. There's some great people in the industry. It really is. I just like to see that increase and you know get behind you know get behind sort of the. You know, the podcasts, the YouTubers, and whatever other uh, you know, aspects of social media that, you know, people, and you probably know that too. And that's how I saw your video, I think, initially too, when I was before. I didn't know that was you at the time, but I, I think it was the Cytron one. That's when I did see you before. Now it all sort of comes back to me as well. And I think <laughs> I have seen this guy before. I just, you know, just, at the time you don't, you know, there's so many people going around sometimes and, you know, it's it's just so interesting. I'd love to see people just increase their support of people in the industry. And, you know, and, and I, I, at the time, the reason I saw the Cytron video is because, you know, uh, I was looking at Cytron scopes. That's what people don't realize the, you know, and like when I do, you know, sort of podcasts with a few adverts and that, people don't realize. not a magazine that you get from one of your local organizations where, you know, you, you have a flick through it and boom, it goes in the bin. I mean, yeah, this is the videos. You, you're constantly getting views, even if you don't upload all the time. New fresh faces and fresh hunters and old hunters are watching some of your old videos that maybe you'd watched before and the, the constant, you know, if you've got some advertisers that work with you and, and sponsors and stuff, I mean, people are constantly seeing that. It's set in stone. Yeah, 100%. That's one of the beauties of, of YouTube. I think YouTube has been massive in terms of even just people being able to learn or 
you know, get oh, most of the reviews and that I look for on YouTube because you're, you're getting a first hand and a lot of people are visual learners as well. Like they respond better to, to having something to watch. So, and, and another thing is, and like a lot of people don't get to hunt as often as they would like to. So being able to watch other people, yeah. you know, getting out, getting out there and doing it, and they might be able to pick up some tips and tricks here and there. I think that's that's pretty awesome as well. That you know, people it's almost like, like being there yourself, isn't it? Sometimes when I'm watching videos, like when you're not hunting, you want to watch other people hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I'm probably I'm probably guilty of probably not watching enough even Aussie YouTubers just because I hunt so much myself that I don't watch that much hunting content just because I do it so much already. But I think it's great for people that that don't get to get out there as much as they want to and there's you know there's options to that they can, you know, like you said, finish finish work and they can they can watch a hunting video and feel a little bit sane. <laughs> Hundred percent, mate. Where do they find you? Where do the people go on and find you on? Obviously, on YouTube, on Instagram. What other areas of social media? Give them all those details. No, uh, basically everything's just Tony Gillahan, which is T O N Y G I L L A H A N. So Instagram, YouTube. If if you search that name, you'll find me basically everywhere. All right, Tony. Thanks for joining me on the show here. I really appreciate it. Great chat talking about all things hunting. You know, what's important to you when you get out there hunting and shooting. Also, notice you like your fishing as well. Um, so thanks for joining me on the show, mate. We can catch up again soon. It was a great and pleasure interviewing someone that uh, loves hunting, shooting and fishing as much as I do. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.